0: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Two Woods Four Quarters, a Harlequins podcast. My name's Will, and not only am I joined by my cousin Michael this week, but we have a very special guest, the CEO of Harlequins Rugby Club, Mr. Laurie Dower and Laurie, thanks so much for giving us your Thursday evening. How's things? How's
1: work been? Uh, yeah, no worries, guys. Uh, it's been good. Um, we've got a, it's a bit of a frustrating couple of weeks in some ways. We've only got one team playing at the minute. Uh and when you've only got one program operating it feels a little bit incomplete. Um so the boys have had uh yeah they had the rest weeks sort of last week back in this week and then obviously um uh we're going to be going full metal jacket now till till the have lost the game and getting our heads sort of uh, getting our heads down and in focus and um yeah so yeah look, it's, it, yeah we're in a good spot um, we're competing hopefully for playoff rugby again across both programmes, which mm. is the kind of the target we set ourselves at the start of the season. Um, funny enough, we did an all-staff sort of day this afternoon, well, meeting this afternoon, where we had the, all the players from the women's programme, all the players from the men's, coaching staff, performance, stoop staff, and we did like an hour and a, and a course with everyone just reflecting on the last 12 months and nice. what it's... Um, and just, you know, sort of... Yeah, sort of reconnecting that back into the kind of the vision of where we want to be as a club and what our aspirations are and why we do it and our identity and and showing that it's clearly sort of demonstrating success in everything we're trying to do, not just on the pitch but off of it. So, so yeah. nice. good day today and we're in a good spot.
0: It's certainly gonna be a massive five weeks, isn't it? This is what you get involved with it for. This is what gets us excited as fans. Like these are the five weeks that that get you excited. So the way we're going to break down this this episode is we, we want to talk a little bit about you first and and unpick you and what makes you tick and, and how you are currently where you are. Mm. We'll then talk into sort of the, the business and the growth of the club and all that kind of strategy um, with a little bit of a focus on salary cap and things like that, which is a hot topic at the moment. Then we'll talk about Big Summer Kickoff, which is obviously going to be this week after we release this episode. So building up that and, and hyping up to that. And then finally, what we've also done is a little bit of a social media call to arms with questions from other supporters. So we'll finish with a little quick fire Q&A with questions from some of the other supporters too. So that's kind of how we'll plan it.
2: Mike, I'll hand over to you to kick off the first segment. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Looking forward to this a lot. So Laurie, again, thanks so much for coming on. Just at the start, give us a little sort of 60 second synopsis of what makes you tick, who you are, where have you come from and what sort of led you to the position that you're in now? Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I guess first and foremost,
1: um, I'm like everyone else that probably operates in sport. I, I just love sports. Like I, love, I love all of the attributes and the behaviours that it displays. I'm super competitive. <clears throat> um, I adore winning. I don't mind saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that feeling that you get. Uh, I dislike losing. Um, but just as much as I adore that winning feeling... I adore the feeling of doing it in a cohesive, collegiate way with people that I love and I trust and I've created a real bond with. So whether that's in in the present environment at Quinn's um, or in previous role where I've been or roles where I've been, or whether that's in like amateur rugby that I've played in, you know, in my club for 20 years, like and let's be honest, you know, you, you generally play amateur rugby for the crack, like. You know whether it's the playing piece obviously but I reckon probably 70, 80% of it is what you do and definitely high road on a Saturday night, so sort I of think yeah. so so I you know I just I love it. I, I you know I, I really um I, I really sort of get so much enjoyment so much pleasure out of being in sport um and I've I've been a of sport a a sportsman amateurly for like all my life and I've I follow football I've got a football team I follow I've followed rugby since I was a teenager. Um, and I guess the journey to Queen's has been kind of, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 years kind of in the sort of in existence. I went to university in um, St. Margaret's so I, I, in mid-90s uh, and um, I lived in halls like literally sort of two miles down the road. Um, and really, I tell you what, again, being, being a student in Richmond is, <laughs> talk about austerity now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll tell you what I had pretty good planning, yeah, uh, t- twenty-five years ago uh, when I didn't have a pot to piss in, and you're trying to go out and drink in Richmond.
2: Um, you, were at Mary's?
1: Pot- you were at
2: Sumeri's, You were Sumeri's University in Twickenham.
1: No, I went to Brunel.
2: Oh no! Yeah, yeah. That's so such I a was. shame. I oh, know. Well, that's the Brunel. end of this episode. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> have to finish it there. No, I'm it. Yeah, I was I was a so I can um I can attest to living in the sort of southwest London side and still having to try buy pants on a Saturday night.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a challenge, but equally, I just I love the area. I love, I, I, just, I fell in love with sort of Richmond, St Margaret's. Um, lived in Isleworth for a bit. Um, but then when I sort of finished university, moved a bit more over sort of Kingston type sort of way. Um, and then Surbiton, and then when family came along, Temptitton, and you know became even. It's like slowly but surely it's got greener and greener as we sort of the years have evolved. Um. And yeah, I just I love I just love being in this environment. I love trying to sort of make a different like all the cliches, just you know, create a culture and environment that yeah. that that tries to maximize performance and success. Um, and in many ways, it's no different to any business or organization. The same levers still ultimately drive the output or the outcome and the success. Um, I just, I love that at three o'clock on a Saturday night, like you know, when when it gets to sort of like event time, show time. And and that not knowing whether you're going to succeed or not, and clearly you you, you know you've done your planning in your preparation as a group and as a club, and that includes on the off the field as well as on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a there's a buzz like it. And then when you get experiences like the 26th of June last year, yeah, that's just it's like the, the, the yeah the the endorphin release is is insane. You're telling
0: but, me I've got a tattoo of it, so.
1: <laughs> oh, I haven't quite
2: got that. <laughs> Mine's coming as well, by the way, Will. We're not forgetting that. I've definitely forgot it the amount of times you said you're going to get it and you still haven't got it. <laughs> and, well, Laurie, it's obviously well documented that you've come from you a know, football background. My old man, his best mate, or one of his best mates, is a massive Wolverhampton Wanderers fan. So I think that I got a message a couple of years ago from him saying, bloody hell, you've taken our CEO and look where the club is now and how well Quinn's have done since. Obviously making the transition from the Premier League into rugby... What was it that drew you to it initially? Was it just Quinns or was it the sport? And then obviously what have you learned sort of in the interim period between then and now? So, I mean, as I say, I've been a Quinns supporter for many
1: years. So when when I left university and before I went back to play in social rugby, I was a season ticket holder in what's the DHL stand now. So I came for three or four years regularly. I'd be watching sort of like Greenwood and Burke and Wood and Leonard and Gollings and Luger and Nick Duncombe and all these sort of players. Um, so I, I really sort of grew this like fondness and a bit of a sort of you know love affair, affection for for Queens. And then I've just followed them ever since. Like as I say, I've played rugby socially, so I've always been. Totally what position honest. were you, Laurie? Uh, I started as a ten, nice. and then I went changed to nine. Prefer nine, if I'm honest. Influential I'm, either way. I'm small, so a small ten is uh, is is not the most uh, ideal situation. Marcus does it all right. <laughs> yeah, <he> does. <laughs> but then I don't have I don't have ninety eight percent of the game that Marcus does. <laughs> what two percent do did. you have?
2: <laughs> Which two percent do yeah. you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I've got I've got two legs. <laughs> And I think uh, I wore Adidas boots uh, and I've got brown hair and that's probably about the the only comparables we could draw. Um, no, so I moved to Scum off and, and found it far more enjoyable. Uh, but, yeah, so just even though when I was playing, I still sort of maintained this sort of affection and and followed them through, you know, um, unfortunately when we got relegated, but then coming back and winning it and all those sort of things. And, and so when I got to sort of Wolves, I suppose... Um, and I didn't move. I didn't really relocate with Walls. I was, so I was kind of almost really? offering like a sort of split life where I'd be living in the Midlands all week. And my family and wife and children were down here in London. So I'd be, it's a, it's a proper travelling lifestyle. And, and, and when I was at Walls, I think um, my son was, my youngest son was like 10 months when I joined. He was over, he was five and a half when I left. So you miss out those huge chunks of development and engagement with your sort of family, albeit, you know, that is punctuated with back to what I was saying a minute ago, like just some of the most amazing sort of success elements and feelings and moments of satisfaction and reward. Um, but I'd really sort of set in my mind, if, like, if, if an opportunity at Queen's came up, I, w- I would grab it with both, I'd try and grab it with both hands if I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to go for it. And, and so it, it came up in the summer of 19 and, um, uh, yeah, chatted to my wife and, um, uh, and then met the board and kind of went from there, really. Um, and it's funny, there was, there was probably, at the time, there was quite a few similarities, if you like, in terms of where Wolves had been on a bit of their journey um, and where Quinns were at the time in terms of, um, you know, really well-established club. Really established fan base, uh, really strong fan base. One of the biggest fan bases, one of the greatest crests in you know, in in English rugby and world rugby. Um, uh, technically, a really good team, um, and but just we needed to probably have a bit of a reset, and certainly culturally, we needed to sort of try and get a bit of that, and and then hopefully try and sort of transmit that outwardly into the supporter base to then get the traction to sort of go forward. And we kind of, as I say, we would kind of. Or you know, albeit Wolves, to be fair, had significant financial investment as well behind it to sort of almost resuscitate that reset. But um, as I say, yeah, the the the, the comparisons were, were were quite strong. And but for me, the sort of the draw to come back to Queens was was a was a big lure for me.
0: Did anything take you by surprise? Was there anything you you weren't expecting from the football world coming into the rugby world, or was it all
1: kind of as you thought it would be? Um... That's a good question. Um, I don't think there's anything really by surprise. Um, I suppose like any job, you, you know, you go in as the new person. I don't mean as in, like, in any role, you go in as new. Excuse me, it always takes some time to transition. Yeah. And you've, you've been in an environment where you, I don't know, well, I can only speak from experience, that having worked in sport now for sort of eight years plus and other environments, like, sports are very different environment I think it is and and it is super culture led it's very much environment led so when you go from like a walls where you're so used to that culture and environment you set you almost sort of feel like okay well we're gonna go back to I feel like we've got to go back to the start line here and and hopefully implement some of the things that I think will make the difference or so there's always that period of transition. Um and I remember like really sort of poignantly we went uh, I'd been with the club maybe I don't know, eight weeks, seven weeks. We went away, played sail away a new year, like literally two, three days a new year. And we got pumped. <laughs> like we got absolutely pumped on the night. Um, uh, we scored a breakaway try in the first two minutes. And I think after that, it was like one-way traffic. Yeah, I think I remember that. Um, I remember driving home going, oh man, like I haven't felt like this for a little while in terms of like how, how a result really resonates. in you, And I, and I'm a, I am a real... I'm a bit of a shit for that like I drove home from the Saints the other week just like I oh, yeah. didn't even put the radio on I will just be yeah. sitting in silence like i oh, right analysing yeah like where, where where, did we miss it and and sometimes look like, sometimes we're not good enough on the day and you accept that and, and the other team is better but often there'll be occasions where you're like now nah, that's we that's that wasn't quite right or that yeah. didn't go it's the so many what ifs yeah yeah so you're telling us yeah exactly so <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't forget that I've been through this for years as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Um so albeit having said that, like um who was I saying it to the other day, like the Montpellier fixture that here afterwards, albeit I had an immense sense of pride. That was the first time in 15 months after a game where I felt genuinely like a bit crestfallen, a bit um yeah just a bit sort of rinsed out to be honest mm. like given how much we'd expended and I, I don't play on the on the day obviously but but equally we're all on this emotional sort of like yeah. journey with it um so yeah the tank was pretty empty that Saturday night and as I say if I, 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 so I should be really really happy because it's the first time in 15 months I felt like that after a game um so yeah so going back to the question so I guess there's a lot of similarities, you know, you need, you need good culture, you need good people, you need to be sort of going in the right direction. There needs to be the clear sort of clarity on the vision from what, where the club's trying to go. And then ultimately getting everyone to sort of buy into that. Um, I probably think we had a bit of lack of that at the start. And that kind of became, that became clearer as we went through that sort of first year, like in 2020, um, and I guess the other big difference is like the audience size, clearly the money is different. Like there's no, we can't go away from that. Certainly if you're talking about the elite level, um, yeah, premiership rugby financially probably operates on a reasonably similar part to like the championship or like, you know, elements of the championship, albeit there's less clubs, but for some of the top clubs in the champ, you know, they'll turn over mid 20 million, like, which is kind of like where Quinns is or should be, will be back to. Um, uh, and the cost, the cost basis is not a million miles away as well, and so you know, in that sense, um, not too much dissimilarity. But at Premier League level, then clearly, yeah, the the, the money yeah. that comes in, which then translates itself, understandably, to the broadcast level and the broadcast reach and the community and your audience and who you're engaging with is is on, you know, is clearly on another level. Um, so that's that's something that you obviously sort of you get your head round and and. But equally, as I say, you rely on the people that you've got, the product you've got, and um, and the culture that you're driving. And, and that should be the same in any business that you are operating.
0: In. Yeah, it's interesting how you reference the, the Premiership being quite similar with the Championship there. And I think it's probably quite a good point to move this onto the business element of, of the pod. And we want to start by talking about our Harlequins women's side because they're in action this weekend. And by the time this episode comes out, we'll know whether they're in a home playoff or an away playoff. Mm-hmm. So that's hopefully two of our sides that are going to go and progress and get into the playoffs again and and both going for those back-to-back titles. Yeah, This season, there's a little bit more youth to the side. We obviously lost Abby Ward and Rosie Gallagher's come in and and Rachel Burford's been injured for quite a lot of the season. So it's been much more youthful. It's been a little bit up and down with various international breaks and, and Six Nations and things which have made it quite tricky to get some momentum, but this team's going to become a real force over the next couple of years with the, the age of the side and the quality of the side of the, as well. A bit more of a broad business question on women's rugby, but how do you plan on on continuing that growth with Harlequins in particular? Because I, I think we can confidently say that the, the women's side on the pitch are going to be delivering for a lot more seasons to come. How do we try and match that off the pitch too?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that that really is a good question. And and that's that's, I guess, one of the sort of some of the biggest challenges that we've got, um, not least because uh, and the gap is closing, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and we've got the mo- we've had the most competitive um, Allianz 15 uh, Premier 15 league that we've had for, for years, which um, on the one hand, you could go, oh, crumbs, you know, we, it, it's going to be a greater challenge for us to win this. And we're all about silverware. But equally, we want the players to be challenged. We want yeah. we want it to be a competitive environment. Um you don't want particularly not consistently anyway the the occasional ones usually sort of isn't isn't to be uh, totally discredited but you don't want thrashing you want to be you don't want to be having like such one sided results like all the time so to have a league where some of the other clubs are now becoming more competitive is good because it challenges us it pushes us but also it's then going to be far more appealing to a broadcaster Yeah, or to the consumer to go, well, yeah, do you know what? Like, like we had last week, you know, we had a really competitive game away at Bristol. Um, we know that whoever we get in the playoffs or however that sort of um, plays itself out, um, it's going to be a competitive fixture, uh, no matter whether we go on the road, obviously, that'll be more so. Um, but the top four teams now, the gap has narrowed significantly. Um, so I think the key to it ultimately is about growing the game and growing the viewing audience that we have on the game. And, and, and we've been working really hard with that over the last few years. Um, I guess when you kind of, and Saracen similarly have, have, obviously been putting a big effort behind it. When two teams operate in isolation like that, it is then really hard to grow the breadth of the league. So I think the best thing that's happening is, as I say, the competitive nature of the whole league's yeah. gone up a level Um We've got a set plan or we've sort of pulling, to continue to pull together a set plan as to how we think we can continue to broaden the audience and the interest in in the women's sport. And in our specifically in our club and the games we play, we now host all of the home games here at the Stoop. Um, uh, And it's obviously included within your membership. So coming to watch them is 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 is. no additional cost. Yeah, it's not free of charge because clearly you have paid, but it's it's, yeah. it's a rolled out element of your membership, which I hope more and more fans take advantage of. And, and we've got a bigger role to play, I think, in just in terms of ensuring that our membership base and our season ticket holder base and our supporter base that don't often get the opportunity to consume it get far more visibility to that. And that's one of our big challenges. Because equally, when you come, and if you watched the game last week, I mean, the quality levels yeah. from both teams were brilliant. Um, we won try the week, I think, didn't we? Uh I know we were certainly uh We, we were, were nominated. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure we won um, it in
0: the end. But yeah, unbelievable we'll try that one.
1: So. Yeah, so so the is good. Um, and also it, it it does help that at the elite level, at the Red Roses level, the interest levels are going up and up and up and up. So, you know, there's nothing more pleasing to me to see full stadiums and, you know, 15, 16, 17,000 people watching the red roses. Um because that tells us instantly that the interest levels in women's rugby is increasing. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it, it's, going to, it's going to remain a challenge. And if you look at things like how sort of, you know, women's super league and football, that's taken years to, yeah, yeah. to, to sort of mature itself um, into the product where it is now. Um, and we're, you know, some of our fixtures are like things like the game changer, big game at Christmas where we had sort of nine, 10,000. Um, and I know you on, on the one hand, it's, you know, a sort of 10% or whatever of, of less than 10% of Twickenham itself. But that's like that's the biggest audience that we'd ever had in in a competitive league fixture in, in English rugby. So I think we're making positive inroads. Um, but we definitely have to find ways to to grow the consumer audience. And that's that's what will help us. And then on the on the actual sort of playing and performance side, we've launched and developed centers of excellence where we can hopefully get more and more players coming into. Um, what should be a better developing pathway structure within our club. Um, we're at the minute recruiting for a new head coach. Um, and yeah, that's, a, of that's, a, that's a global search. Um, when do you think that gonna... will be um, finalised?
0: Will that happen at the end of season or before? Uh,
1: yeah, I'd like to think by
2: certainly... By the time uh, we lift the trophy at the end of the year, probably. <laughs> yeah. Which one? Well, <laughs> um, both of them, yeah. I, of actually them. Saw, um, I actually saw Izzy Mayhew, because I only lived down the road from her. We were mates at uni. I saw on the way home from work on Monday, and I saw it was her birthday at the weekend. I said, oh, good birthday, like big win. And she was like, yeah, yeah, it was class. And I was like, well, uh, hopefully you go well go against Loughborough this weekend. And she was like, yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll be there at the end. We're, we're going to do it. And I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. great. Oh, I look forward to watching that then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, and you've got to sort of, you love that positivity. I remember last year um, in the build-up, uh, when the men's program and a couple of conversations with Marcus, like, and he's just got this. And players like him, have just got this unswerving determination. Yeah, like it's, no it's almost as like as well. it's not in question. And that doesn't mean to say that it's gonna. It's not an arrogance. It's not going to come automatically. But there's just a there's just this ice cold determination that, and particularly like I spoke to him on the Thursday after the Bristol game when everyone would have been well within their rights to have been emotionally shot and I said are you you okay and he's like yeah I'm cool and we're going to win it on the weekend like I'm telling you don't worry about it we're going to get this and I was like right."
2: I don't know if you've um, I don't know if you've this has just come to me there's a documentary ages ago about Sam Burgess when he left Bradford Bulls in the Rugby League and went to South Sydney and Russell Crowe is the sort of narrator on it and it's brilliant. And he talks about the like sparkly eyed man or sparkly eyed sports person. And it seems like we've got a few of them in our club on both mm-hmm. sides. Like mm-hmm. how cool is that to better have conversations like that with Marcus or with you know someone like Jess Breach or Sarah Beckett or Joe yeah. or whoever it is, and just or you like can Rachel look them in the eye. Yeah. Exactly. You look them in the eye, and there's that there you can see the sort of twinkle and the I don't know, I don't know what that how you sort of you know yeah say that, but it just it's amazing that we've got people like that within our club. Yeah, no. I guess you know you'll have some of those
1: individuals across a lot of elite sports clubs. But if you go back to what I was saying earlier about you know hosting an event like today, where you 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 know these are people that you operate with day in day out, um, and and it should be it should be a privilege to work with the very best of the best and the people that are pushing themselves every single day to be the best they can be, not only within their own, their own club or their own league, but within their own sport um, globally. And so I don't think we should ever sort of take that for granted. And that's another reason why it's such a pleasure both to be at Queens, but to be in sport. Um, And yeah, we've, we've got, we've definitely got some of those in our group. Um, and when you have some of that and you've got some of that, innate ability to succeed and win and not give up. Um, and you've got a few of those driving your culture, then it can be unstoppable. I want to move the the business chat onto the salary
0: cap because it's all over social media and it's, it's quite yep. rightly in all the, the rugby publications that go out across the world too. Um, more notably after European rounds when it's, it's quite notable how the final four tend to be from either Ireland or France. Do we have a salary cap strategy? Is that something that we, we consider? Or is that just the way the world works in rugby now where we, we don't need to think about having a strategy for it? It's all about the academy. What does our kind of growth plan look like for the next two, three years, signings-wise, because of that
1: cap? Yeah. Well, the first piece of the strategy is don't breach it. That's, uh, <laughs> um, so we try our best not to do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, I guess there's a couple of bits of rationale behind the salary cap, which without stating the obvious. One, ultimately, you've got to manage your cost base. And no matter what what we do, the salary part of our business is our biggest cost. Um, That's not to say that we should always fundamentally go to our salary cost and, and look to reduce it on every single opportunity. Because as I've said to the group, we should be maximising all of our revenue generating opportunities as well and making sure that we manage the business as cost effectively as we can. But the fact remains, um, our income doesn't match ultimately what it costs us to run the club and run the sport and run the business. And we're not the only club that has that challenge. So fundamentally, it tells us that we've got a bit of a problem. And so the salary cap, the ultimately, is there to ensure that there is an even playing field across the clubs um, I've got other views around the distribution of of money into the clubs, which should, I think should be, and this is my view, don't know how much it's shared um, around my board, Um, but equally, I think there should be some forms of meritocracy for how you finish and where you finish within the league that sees the club benefit financially. Um, it, It stands to reason that if you win it, you should get a meritocracy payment for winning it and driving more value into rugby and into the league and in giving better visibility to the sport than if you finish eleventh or twelfth, you know that that just seems obvious to me. Um, and that's exactly how it works in football and yeah, championship um, playoffs and everything. It's the richest game in football, isn't it? The playoff final, but yeah. But but even in the Premier League, when you you could be on the last day of the season, and if you finish twelfth or you've got a shot to win the game on your last game and finish eighth, that that can have a swing of like multi-millions of pounds because of where you finish within the league. And I just think on that particular point, um, and I fully get that, that premiership rugby has historically been geared around that, that sort of level playing field and to try and sort of drive sustainability, which I am equally sort of fully behind. But equally, I think you should be rewarded for for how you finish and how you drive that value into the league. And if you are one of the most flamboyant and flair teams and Jouet teams, it drives the audience, which is clear to see and reflected in our spectator, um, our audience numbers through the season and our membership renewals for next season. And we've gone from being the fourth most followers club to like comfortably the number one most followers followed club on social media now. Um, then there should be some, I feel there should be some sort of, uh, some sort of reward for that. Having said that, that shouldn't then affect... The salary cap so we all ultimately then still operate on the same thing yeah. when it comes to recruitment because that's ultimately what what's at the core of our values as a league that everyone should still be able to compete against each other on on, on their day um but the cap's come down um and it's come down because when we went into covid it was like it, it was financially catastrophic like you know some of the losses that we were dealing with some of the financial amounts that we were asking our shareholders to to fund and the gaps that we were asking them to fund was was huge pressure um and so the hope is and also don't forget some of the external sort of values of what rugby as a sport was anticipated to generate they've not quite got there Mm. so that's the other reason why in terms of like on and the cap ultimately should be indexed to the commercial value centrally that's coming into premiership rugby and that's probably where a bit of the disconnect has occurred as well. So the caps come down um and we've had to recruit for that accordingly. Um so I'd be lying if I said it didn't put pressure on on our ability to recruit or renew. Um we're quite fortunate in the sense that we had sub 2021 20, I think renewals to do for the senior cap yeah. this year. Um uh, we did all by one of them. Um so, and as disappointing, obviously, as it is to not get all of them done, um, that's equally a really great reflection of where we are as a club and where we are as a culture and where we are in terms of trying to take the club forward. Probably the net effect is meant, the bigger pressures that we've got coming up is it's probably meant that the squad's reduced slightly. So that's probably one of the bigger pressures. Um, um, and it's you know it's made for some challenging conversations with the players. Right, Rightly so, in many ways, because understandably... And if I was to empathise with their position, then they clearly have a valuation on what they, what they think they deliver and what they provide, certainly with, a, with us at the minute. I like to think that we're sort of firmly in the shop window of, of making Premiership Rugby as marketable as it can be. Uh, and we're proud of that and our contribution to that. So, yeah, of course, it's made, it made a difficult decision. But then equally, when you're renewing that sort of volume of people, there's clearly a strong connection and engagement that they have to the club and they want to be part of the club as it goes forward. Um, But to your other point, the other big pressure that it then gives, not pressure necessarily, but one of our key sort of fundamental drivers into our vision of the club is to have a really strong conversion from our academy pathway. Yeah. So really, and it's not, we can't expect it to happen overnight, but success for us as a club will be when we're converting three out of our, three out of five of our senior players ideally, will have come through the academy process, whether that's in the men's or the women's programme. And so in itself, in time, that should ho- hopefully, if we're being true to our vision, that should alleviate some of the pressures that we've got on our academy. And you can see it this year. And hopefully, well, you can see it this year in terms of the likes of, you know, Lewis Line, uh, uh, Kenningham. Yeah. Um Tizard <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs>
0: you um, Hammond as and, well. We'll go for Hammond, yeah, Hammond as well. uh, Oscar
1: Beard, um, and then obviously some of the other boys that we've given game time to in in the Prem Cup, like Brim Bradley and Hayden and Fleets. Cassius yeah. and um, Jamie Benson and Finn Baxter, and you know there's a re- and so there's a cohort that everyone's had visibility on, and then we know that there's another probably six or seven, maybe one or two more players in our 18s group that the academy guys are saying, yeah, do you know what? These this guys probably have a good chance of sort of coming through. So, yeah. But the key bit is to sort of not expedite that development and that transition too early because you want them to be then going into competitive rugby at a senior, senior level when they're ready for it. But undoubtedly, uh, and as I say, positively, it aligns with where we want to go as a club. It is going to place more pressure on us having better coverage, better reach, uh, a better footprint into our catchment area of, of how we're looking to develop younger players and how we're looking to try and find the next Jack Kenningham and the next. Yeah. Players.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Cause obviously the, the competitiveness of the league this year is well, and the last two years really has been ridiculous. And mm. you look at the top four this time around, we're the only side that are still in it from last year. So mm. it just goes to show how competitive it's been. And that probably is down to the salary cap, but then you look across to Europe and we're, we as a league aren't able to compete at the same level. And I think that's expected. How do we plan on, On oh, you're, you're tutting at me. What are you going to say? <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't
1: tutting. <laughs> I, was, I, I was just about to start a sentence, but it sounded like a tut, but it wasn't a t- <laughs> Um The only thing I'd say to that is, you know, we, we, we've, on paper at least, and in, term, in financial terms, we've, we've not been competitive with, Some of the European clubs, for that's not not a new issue, that's that's historical. Um, and having said that, prior to this year, we've had a pretty strong representation in in the latter stages of the European competitions, both in Champions and Challenge Cup. (laughs) So, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's entirely uh reflective and not being able to compete necessarily, arguably, not being able to compete in Europe. Um, I don't think is entirely a reflection of the salary cap.
0: No, um, I, I definitely hear you on that. I think sorry, um I think where I was going with it is You've got these superstar players. If you look at Bristol, for example, with Semi Rodrano, he's not going yeah. to be sticking around if they go below the salary cap and he's not a part of that. And it's more lucrative for those kind of players to go to the top 14, for example. And you look at the likes of, of Leinster, who are pretty much Ireland, or, or Toulouse, who are pretty much yeah. France, and the sides that go on and win these European trophies are just littered with those kind of stars that they, they can attract. And um, that's partially down to what they can afford. So, um, no yeah. doubt that we're we're fully equipped and we've got lots of England superstars on our side and we've got lots of young players coming through. But when you get to that top tier sort of semi-finals final, that's when you see the likes of Leinster and and, uh, and Toulouse because they've got that,
1: that extra budget, I suppose. Yeah, but then I guess the flip to that, and it doesn't maybe help us here and now and in the tomorrow, but if I look at the future of Queen's as a club and as a squad, you know, nothing would me, Nothing would genuinely give me great pleasure. If you were looking at a Champions Cup squad in three, four years, and you've got Finn Baxter, Jack Walker, um, not Hugh Tissard, uh George Hammond. <laughs> um, in three, four years, he might be back. Maybe, maybe. So uh, we've
2: got him in the um, Joe Gray clause, his contract hasn't he? Where he spends <laughs> maybe three maybe years maybe. there then comes back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 He realises there- we <laughs> we go his
1: error. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Kenningham, uh, Alex Donbran, um, yeah. Marcus Smith, Luke Northmore, Joe Marchant, Lewis Liner. Um, you know, if we've got this, and then throw into that mix, you know, Jamie Benson's, Cassius Cleves, you know, the, the the Oscar Beards, the players that we can see, Caden Murley, you know, Christ, the man. season he's had. Yeah. like so, you know, that. You, you, I, I take your point fully about some of these, the, the stardust that comes into the league and what it was intended to do and drive. And it does to a point, but for me, my preference is, do you know what? If I can have a, if I can have a squad yeah. of queens, genuine Harlequins that have been part of the fabric of this establishment and have had the nurturing and the welfare and the player development and the emotional mental development through the entirety of their career, and that's how our squad's built, and that's the spine of the club, for me, that's that—that's Nirvana, and that will create better yeah. viewing experiences, better well, better culture, well. Across, better culture um, and then you'll see it on the pitch, 100%. I think oh, it's great.
2: something that we said um, for a while, was like, when we compared last year's win to the win in 2012, that sort of thorough line of, you know, Marla, Kerr, Robshaw, Easter... Monia Brown is now sort of coming together again with, although Mahler and Kerr are still there with Marcus, Domers March, etc. Mm. And that is, that is a really cool part of it. And I think I love, I love it when people say, oh, you know, in four or five years time, when Cassius Cleese is world player of the year and Caden's <laughs> had 10, 15, 20 tries for England, you know, and they'll still Caden's be part. breaking
0: Ashton's record.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they're still part of the furniture and have been for so long. That's mm. obviously a pretty cool thing to better hang your hat on.
1: Yeah. And it, Look, in, in, in monetary terms, of course, the pressure is there, particularly you know, in, in, in a decreasing cap environment. So that's where the other levers that we have to pull as a club then go to, right, so what's the environment like? And what, what, how are we developing these athletes as human beings and what we're we giving them as the process to transition after rugby and, and, and what, what's, what's the wraparound care around them and, and what's all the sort of peripheral stuff where we can hopefully make them better players and, and, and look after them. Because that's equally where a lot of the value and a lot of the sort of a lot of the difference that we can make as a club. It's not. It's not entirely just around to like what 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 can we afford to how can we carve up the salary cap.
0: I've got one more. Then I'll promise I'll hand over to Mike to talk about big summer kickoff. Still on the still on the salary cap. It sounds like our growth strategy lies within the academy. Is there any sort of insight or? um focus on the universities we've seen Bristol sign a few from universities and obviously that's where we've got Northmore and Donbrandt from It sounds like a really sort of smart way of, of recruiting. Is that going to be a big part of our future too?
1: Yeah yeah I, I, yeah um, we look at it and we have been looking at it for several months. We're obviously our training base is in a university like yeah. you know and it's got some of the best sporting facilities within the Bucks program. so I, I certainly feel that there is opportunities, firmly within our reach where we can provide um, a better it's kind of two-way there's a better pathway for players that then excuse me want to come into the club um, if they're a university student and we've got that conne- connection and those relationships with those particular institutions but then as I said a second ago if you're talking about transitioning for life after rugby if we've got the a a reciprocal partnership and arrangement where do you know what yeah if you want to go and you're going to train all day or you'll train certain hours of the day but then there's a uh uh, there's an educational program or there's a curriculum that you can go into that's then going to provide you with qualifications at the end of it now whether that's something that they start in the early part of the career or midway through the career or towards the end but that vocational development that we can then manage hand in hand with a rugby career because not all of them are going to leave and go right I'm going to go into media broadcasting or whatever because clearly those sort of opportunities are yeah are, are more finite. So our responsibility to deliver on that and work with the players on that is should be and is 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 significant. Um, but it works the other way as well if we can provide that clear and also then lend some coaching support into university programs and um, uh, so that those they, they, those rugby programs develop. Uh, in the same way that we can in our academy, then equally that provides a better sort of throughput for players coming into the
2: club. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just before we move on to big summer kickoff, which is obviously just around the corner, we've obviously you know this year sold pretty much every home game in the league, completely sold out. We've almost made rugby sexy again, and that's then bought the you know the swarms of fans in. Obviously, now we've got to that sort of part of the development as a club. And obviously we've seen stuff online about the redevelopment of the North stand and, and bits like that. How does the clubs sort of next couple of years, two, three years look in terms of facilitating that growth on a match day? Is, is it stadium development? Is it, you know, m- increased capacity? What's the sort of next step of that? So I think for now,
1: I mean, we've had, we've had the most amazing year like on many, many levels. Um, and our sort of commercial performance has been obviously, um, uh, you know, significantly improved from from the last two years at least. Well, that wouldn't be hard in many ways, but um, <laughs> but in terms of what we sort of what we've been able to achieve when we've got the capacity to have full stadiums. Um, Being able to continue at that level, obviously, is the first priority. Um, And, you know, one sort of cliche, one swallow doesn't make the summer sort of thing. So I think going again through this season and everything, it's it's a self-fulfilling sort of cycle, isn't it? And as we say to everybody here, consistent performances, doesn't always necessarily mean winning, by the way, but consistent levels of performances that drive the audience and drive the interest and the consumer interest. But equally, is akin to the identity of how we want to be, and we think it's important to us. I think it's then going to drive the interest level to come and continue to come and watch us. So I think the next level is probably to, and as you know, we've been investing in the ground and the facilities over the last sort of twelve months. <clears throat> in part, it's been we've sort of been in a, in a bit of a race to try and get things to be better because the, the previous plan has been around moving to a new stadium or building a new stadium. Um, and I, I genuinely think that the, the deep-rooted desire is still to do that. Um, but clearly, exiting our way out of some of the financial woes of where we've been over the last couple of years is, is going to take several years ahead of us to, to, to still navigate out of those sort of waters. But that doesn't mean to say that we can't invest in the product of what we've got now. And I say the product, yeah. I mean, like, the facility and, and how we then deliver that matchday experience. So we're developing the north end of the ground over the summer, Um Uh, and we are confident, um, assuming that suppliers don't let us down, but we're confident that we'll have that ready for the start of next season.
0: When's that kicking off, by the way? Has it started already? Because our home games are done, aren't they? Unless our our women's side get a home playoff, then I imagine they'll be at the
1: stoop. Yeah, I mean, mathematically, we can still get a home semi in the men's, I think. Um, So we're not going to start carving up tarmac just yet. Um, (laughs) But I would expect that probably to... Probably to kick off in in, in early June, or, or, or you know, as soon as we know what, as soon as we know what the outcome is going to be yeah. of any potential playoffs, because the more time we've got, the better. Um, although we've got some contingency built into that, but we've got that earmarked to be ready for for the start of the season, and that'll be a huge. What we want to do is create something and look, I'm fully aware that there's some elements of our service levels that we always need to be looking at and we always need to be improving and we're still probably not quite hitting the levels that we need to. And we're aware of that and we're, we're working hard on that and that that has remained one of our greatest challenges through, through the season. But by developing the north end of the ground, it should be making it a far uh, more exciting and a far more attractive um, matchday experience for when you come. Not only will you be able to drink outside, but it'll be covered, it'll be heated. We've got some really cool ideas about how we can um, make that a far more engaging content, rich experience for the fans, whether it'll be um, player led interviews or matchday content or bands or live music, or nice. we've got some other sort of quite cool ideas as to how we can sort of drive engagement. And it's a little bit about, do you know what? Making the environment and what we deliver here at the stadium more compelling than what you get on the high street and what you get within the pub environment, which is not to say that we can't collaborate a bit more with these guys, because I think we could work better together. Um, but it's about making the whole experience a bit better for when you come to the stadium. And then what flows from that is, if we continue to sort of deliver at that optimum level, <clears throat> then I think there's some short to medium term investment that we can make in the stadium to expand what we've got now. Um, where we would, I mean, a new stadium would it would would comfortably be five years away anyway, so or like at least four to five years away. So we could make some alterations to our existing stadium infrastructure that I think we would get the payback within a couple of years, two to three years. So, um, so yeah. So I guess the long answer to your question is really short to medium term investment of what we've got, uh, which I think we need to do and further expand the ability for more fans to come in and watch us. Um, we're still keeping and then maintaining and delivering an enhanced experience for the fans, but keeping one eye on, on what we can do to deliver, you know, um, what we think is a home befitting for Harlequins for where we think we'll be operating in the next sort of five years and beyond.
2: I'm really looking forward to the early parts of the season in that North Stand when it's just sort of the dying embers of summer and, you know, you're mm-hmm. sitting outside having, having a beer. I'll have to change my bus route slightly. i have to stay on for about another three or four stops and come in the other side rather than through the south end. But I'm sure I can, yeah. I'm sure I can manage that. I'll have to also go past the big soup, which is obviously where the next sort of topic of discussion lies. Yeah. Now, big summer kickoff was something that for a while, I think until we had the um, state of play event, There were bits of it that divided the fan base in terms of, you know, a lot of people are very traditional and want the last game of the year at home at the Stoob. We obviously had a discussion about it in the COVID year when we had that last game of the year against Newcastle and we had that amazing thing with, you know, departing players and it felt like a really, really amazing, you know, farewell and goodbye, which obviously not a lot of people get to do in a professional environment, especially one as competitive as professional sport. Did you expect the way that the sort of, narrative around big summer kickoff has gone. How well are we looking in terms of ticket sales? Are we were we expected to be? Are we ahead? Are we behind? What's the sort of general state of it? So it's so a big summer kickoff
1: we have been, we have been looking at for a while um, because the legacy of what we've created with big game is, is fantastic and full credit to the teams and, and the creators who, who, Come up with the idea, and or who sort of who saw it and, and saw the, the opportunity to develop something, and it's taken years to get to the stage where we're operating at seventy five and, and and eighty thousand sort of sellouts. So it's, it's a fantastic product, and it's a fantastic opportunity for us, I think, to showcase Premiership rugby and showcase Harlequins. I, I'm fully aware that probably there is an element of a neutral audience that comes to that game, but I don't have a problem with that in many ways because I want to I want to broaden the consumable reach of this club to as many Londoners and as many people as I can. And I know for a fact that there's other clubs in this league that we are the envy of, of what we create and what we deliver in in that product. So we saw a bit of a window, and, and there's been a couple of iterations of other games that have gone on, and the double headers and the London double headers. <clears throat> but I guess the principal difference, certainly on the London double header, the principal difference is like we own it, like it's ours, and we put an enormous amount of work into delivering that product and delivering that event. And I guess you know it's it's really well established in the winter time. Excuse me, and it's. Um... Theres certain set sort of attributes that I think work really well for it. and then there's other attributes that I thought, you know what if we were to launch something in a different time of year, it will give us a whole different subset of marketable or, or like um, uh, um, identifiable sort of characteristics of the event that I think will be of interest to people and And so coming to Twickenham, hopefully in a sun in a sunny day in the sunshine when it's twenty degrees, um, at a time of the year, which frankly suits us more than any other time in the year in terms of how we play, um, would give us a real opportunity to, to have another bite of the cherry at trying to get a far, far bigger audience that we can take our products to and take our rugby to. And, and so that's so launching it also off the back of COVID, when you know, we, we really need to maximize the commercial opportunities that we have in front of us as a club, um, was equally another big driver. So some, some honesty around this particular launch, it, you know, it, it was never our intention to have it as the last game of the season. That that, that was coincidental and slightly unfortunately coincidental. Um, in some ways, unfortunate In other ways it's actually worked out all right in the sense that this has got some real competitive edge to it and we couldn't have yeah. envisaged. Well, we, you know, I don't say that as a, I definitely don't say that as a discredit to Gloucester because they've had an amazing season. Um, But we, you know, we had no idea when the fixtures were done at the start of the season that we would end up being in a top four shootout with Gloucester. So the competitive nature to the game being played at the big stoop with, you know, tens of thousands of people there has actually turned out quite fortuitously for us in many other ways. Because it is, as I say, it's opening up the ability for us to sort of get our club um, in, in front of many more people than we would be able to do at the stoop. The other bit is we've gone through a season with sellout crowds. Like, you know, we have never had a situation, I think, where we've had more more than three sellouts in a season. We've sold wow. out every single home premiership game this year. We've had to suspend new memberships because we're genuinely concerned that we won't be able to accommodate all of the existing members if we don't allow them to renew their seats first. Um, so we've got a waiting list in probably in real terms. In terms of seats, we've got a waiting list of over a 1,000. For members now, like we've never had this in our in our history. So these are all really important optics for us as a club, um, and we, you know, we'd love to be able to service these, and we'd love to be able to filter and channel more of these into the women's game, for example. Yeah. Um, so these are sort of these are some of the things that we can go after now. Um, but equally, we felt we've never got a better opportunity where there should be and hopefully there should be a, a good reception to what would be, and, it, and it's important. It's why it's called Big Summer Kickoff and not Big Game because we don't want to, Big Game should have its own identity because it's been existing for so many years. This is genuinely an opportunity for us to hopefully go in a different way, which is why the musical artist is a bit different Um we're looking at an artist now for this December's uh fixture and, and it'll be a different artist again to sort of Craig David in terms of because it's dark and we can do more with lights and things
2: so was, was Craig David your choice to see on your desert island discs. I'm itching did, to know this one. <laughs> are you a big big Craig David fan? I know we had a few Craig Davids in the bar in Montpellier with yeah, we sh- did. shots of tequila and pineapple <laughs> juice. Was that was that the inspiration for we've got to get Craig David in, in a yeah
1: I don't remember having those but we did, I think.
2: Well, it was after Will was busy drinking that silly mouthwash stuff. It was horrible. Yeah, 27. Else. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was told in the morning I had those. Um, <laughs> sound, sound like a right dad. I uh, can't take me piss. Um, yeah, no, I remember that uh, vaguely. No, yeah, yeah he was... I've, I've seen him three times live. Um, oh, you are a big fan. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've... Um, I saw, I've seen him at V. Uh, I've seen him in Q. The music in Q Gardens a couple of times. And then the third one was in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't you know. I haven't seen, I've been to Ibiza a couple of times. Uh, I haven't seen him there. Um, uh, but he's like his, his live shows are amazing. Like he is a really really good artist. Um, and the good thing is about I think the good thing is about it. You know, and it, the difficulty is when you look for artists. I know, like we could throw Manfred Mann in there. We did look at him. We tried to do really, that. wow. Um, it, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't happen, unfortunately. But um, and that would resonate with a huge chunk of fans. But then equally, if you're trying mass, to broaden, do you? Yeah, exactly. You want that broader audience that aren't necessarily with Quinns already. Yeah, there's, there's definitely an element, of that. and you don't want to alienate your your core. Of course you don't. Yeah. And. and um, and even know what is the cause music choice, you know, one, you know, one person's favorite artist is probably not another. So um, Mike loves country you... music and I just can't relate to that.
2: Oh, do you now? Oh, I'm <laughs> a big fan. <laughs> we won't talk about it because I've done this before and I go on well, yeah. we end up I'll have to edit out
0: about but... 10 minutes of him talking about country music. So but I it, I don't like if
1: he... I, when I used is to you... drive back from Walls on a Thursday, I'd always listen to Bob
2: Harris. Yeah, nice. He was, uh, whispering Bob. It was, it was, it was, he was good two hours. If you can um, get Luke Combs on for, oh, for God's sake, big game this Christmas, <laughs> Sarah Beckett and I will do the supporting acts. That's you right. can you can put pen to paper right. on that one. Um,
1: yeah, so you, you want an artist that could could resonate, and the, the the best thing with Craig is, um like he was really popular. Like when I was at like in my twenties, he was a bit the soundtrack to sort of growing up, and then now. He's back really prominent. He's got some great stuff. <clears throat> so he's appealing to another. It was we've got two bites of the cherry in terms of like the audience that he yeah. can resonate to. And then some of his some of his songs, historical songs, like still now, um are, are like, you know, I've got real resonance. So um so yeah, so I was really pleased to get to get him to come and or like for him to agree to come and work with us. I've yeah. got visions of
2: you in the Brunel SU like 15, 20 years ago, just sitting in some oh, yeah. of the sun corner with me. I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's the one. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to say that I was I'm, I'm, I'm a big Pete Tong fan as well. So yeah, the, he was um, class. To get Pete class. to work with us uh, was a bit of a personal favourite because he I, I genuinely like he was the soundtrack to like my university life. And, really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, big big dance house music fan. So. He um for when he when he agreed to come and do it, I was like, oh yeah, that'd be a good day. Like, I loved his remix. It's a shame we can't get hold of that for rights issues, but um loved that. Yeah, been a bit tricky, unfortunately. Um and equally, like we said to him, oh like, would you would you would you do this for us? He was saying, oh, you know, what what, what playlist? And I was like, oh, you know, the classics that like Ether and, and yeah yeah ECHO and, uh, and um, Cafe Here he goes. And then I said, oh, this this one other thing, could you would you be able to? we've got this song that we play at the ground, <laughs> The Mighty Quinn by Manfred Mann and he kind of looked at me as if to go, what? Yeah, what could <laughs> I do with this? <laughs> not, not so much like, why would you listen to that? More like, you, you want me to do something with this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, if you can. Anyway, he, went, he, he didn't say any more and then he went away. We never heard a single thing about it until uh, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks before the, the match and um, Adrian was speaking to his team saying, like, doing the checklist of leading up to the event. And he said, "Oh, I, I, and I, there's just one other thing on my list that I just wondered. We did sort of be asking him and I don't know whether or not he's got the time and they were like, he's done it. He's already <laughs> oh, done class. it. Unreal. He's done it. We'll send it to you. Like he, he, he was, he had a look at it and he, something came to his mind really quickly and he's, he's recorded it and edited it or we'll send it over. And when they sent us
2: the corner shot,
1: I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. That is, <laughs> gonna, that's going to be a real point of difference.
2: Manfred, I enjoyed that. Manfred Mann Man meets Ministry of Sound. It was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Can you imagine? Well, have yeah, so got Craig David and Manfred Mann on the stage. I mean, that would have been like some serious collaboration. <laughs> he might come crawling back. Who knows? Um,
0: anyway, I'm conscious that we've we've now hit an hour of your time. There's just a couple of questions we'd like to ask you from sure. other supporters on social, and then we'll wrap up. We can make them quick fire, but I think a few of them you might want to go into a little bit more detail on. This first one is from James Wilkinson off Instagram, and he says, "What was your opinion on Prep to Win, and would you welcome something similar back in the future?"
1: So I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I think Benno is a great producer. Um, for us, it was a bit of a no-brainer um, yeah. to work with him. Um, I, th- I, th- I think like there was a couple of invites went to other clubs. Uh, I personally don't understand why they wouldn't have opened their doors. Um, I don't know who they were, but I, don't, I know that we weren't the only one. So for me, it's about telling a story, and it's about giving that insight and that. If we're, if we're genuine, genuinely going to grow our community then the players are the valuable assets and the behind the scenes and the content that you just don't get that you would get on the 90, 80 minutes of of BT Sport on a Saturday afternoon. That That's where the real value is in terms yeah. of driving the content. So I, we would definitely be all over it again. We've got a couple of ideas that we're looking at trying to germinate that we can. Um, we wanted more, I think, was our feedback. We wanted like a full season one, like an all or nothing. Yeah, style. yeah. Um, Look, like we'd be we'd be hundred percent behind it. And the, the thing about oh, do you sort of get to see tactically is it like is it a compromise? No, you just, you just you just make sure you don't you, you just there's ways to ensure against that. Yeah. And even when Benno is in, like um, you know, we we yeah, tactically there was it was pre-season for a start, so you're not really talking about how you're gonna go out and beat Bath in three months' time. <laughs> so um so yeah, so we'd open our doors, definitely. And and um and I think what it has done. And I've had a few other CEOs contact me going, oh, like, the, the prep to win thing's amazing. Like, how did you do it? Or, like, you know, we, we're just admiring from afar, set of things. so I think what it has done is it's certainly created a bit of a, certainly an interest in, in, in premiership rugby trying to activate something similar.
2: mean, We mentioned it a while when it sort of first came out, the impact that Drive to Survive had on Formula yeah. One. All my mates now who are not sports people, who don't like sport, Oh, I can't wait to watch the F1 this weekend. It's qualifying, and I'm like, yeah. "Where's this coming from?" And I will like, watch the Netflix yeah. documentary. You know, you know, that's sort of the way these things work." And you know, yeah. if, that, if that's part of if that's going to happen for us, then brilliant. And you've just got to just flip the um, whiteboard round and make sure the magnets yeah. are, on the, are on the other side. You no, know, I hope hopefully that happens because that would be amazing. But the um, the next question is from Ollie Watson again on Instagram, and you have sort of touched on it a little bit. But he says, "Do you expect Quinns to break even/slash make a profit next season?" And I'll change it slightly to. After the last couple of years, COVID, etc., when does the club expect to start sort of getting back in the black, so to speak? So I don't think it'll be next
1: year, if I'm honest, um, because the challenge is still quite sizable. And the challenge equally, we're also reliant on rugby as a sport kind of developing... at a good pace as well. And, and, and the broader sort of it's rugby centrally sort of expanding its sort of viewing audience and its consumable audience as well. Focusing specifically on we, what we do, um, I would hope that by next year or the end of next season, we'll have halved the losses at where we were forecast to be at the start of this season. So that's a fairly sizable shift on where we were. Um, and if we can sort of be looking to break even probably in the next two, three years, um, then I'd think that's that's that would be a successful sort of. Out- I know that sounds bonkers, but um, but equally, you know, you're talking about potentially going from four and a half to five million losses to breaking even. Um, when you all you're doing is specifically looking principally at what you can change within your own grasp and within your own sort of um, your own ability to sort of drive. Um, that's a reasonable sort of uh, that's a that's a big change and a big culture shift in, in a short period of time. But certainly next year, next year will be a huge challenge for us. Um but I'd like to think, yeah, certainly the year after and the year after we'll be making further material inroads.
0: Two more, then we'll let you go. The no next one's from Paul Edwards on Twitter. He yep. says, if we happen to be drawn away to a South African side in next season's Champions Cup will the club look into the feasibility of special travel deals for Queens
1: fans slash traveling with the squad? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I'd like to think that, um, well, we, we hopefully will be working with a travel company full stop by that point anyway, just on club wide stuff that we do. Um, So I'd like to think that that would leverage the opportunity to get um, competitive rates for, for fans to go. Um, If, As to whether we would travel on the same flights, then uh, I definitely don't think we'd be chartering a flight, put it that
2: way. (laughs) Um, For 6,000 fans to Johannesburg.
1: (laughs) Well, I no, I meant for the team. Um, I think, uh, yeah, we might... Montpellier, chartering a flight to Montpellier is one thing, but chartering one to Cape Town or or, or the like would be an entirely different thing, especially if I want to get to that break-even in two to three years. Um, (laughs) So... Yeah, look, there would be probably a multitude of opportunities that we can we can potentially have a look at, but it's certainly trying to drive competitive travel rates and 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 the cost of going is firmly within our interest. And one of the things that's really sort of like illuminated over the course of this season, and and and, and Quinza deserve a huge amount of credit, if I'm honest, because yeah, you know, they've really hugely sort of activated that that community feeling that fan London Irish was incredible oh like that That if you talk about high points through the year like you know you yeah. obviously you know we've got extra at home with Marcus and the conversion and Montpellier at home and Will
2: Bristol Collier's Trives Bristol, Bristol. Yeah, there's, there's,
1: there's a number of them but then that bizarrely that, that experience when there was 1200 fans um, at Brentford Stadium making so much noise it felt like a home game mm. uh, Incredible, and so Quinza deserve a huge amount of credit. Oh, they're amazing. Um, So, yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll look to try and do what we can to get as many fans on the plane if we could.
2: And then the final question, which is from the two of us, are we going double (laughs) back-to-back?
1: I hope so. Uh, I think think we can. Um, uh, There's there's, there's a lot standing in the way of this, so some of that's not down to us. Um, You know, I'm sure... um, I'm sure if you were to canvass the other three clubs that will finish in the top four, they're all going to tell you that that they, they've got every opportunity or they want to win it as well. Um, one of the strands, if you like, of our vision as to how we determine becoming a more successful club um, and to, to sort of following through on where we want to be is to retain trophies. And we've got an opportunity to do that in the next four or five weeks. Um, we are more than good enough, more than good enough to do it. And we are the current champions, so... There's every reason why we we should be stood here in 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 five weeks with four bits of silverware in the cabinet and not two. Come um, on the it's quiz. Funny. yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting what you say. Like you know, in terms of the complexity of the top four, setting in the men's program, um, you know, we're the only sort of mainstay for over this sort of two years. So we're going to have to do it by beating two other teams then um, that are different to what we did last year, which equally reflects how the leagues become. It's transitioned and the competitive nature of the league has changed over the course of 12 months. But um, put it this way, there's no one in that top four that I would worry about going into and competitively having a game with and, and, and coming out on the right side of a win.
0: Hey, we'll leave it there. Nice one. Laurie, thanks so much for giving us your time. Um, it probably doesn't translate to one of the podcasts because you, you can't see, but Laurie's actually still sat in his office at 8pm on a Thursday evening to talk to us. So it's been a massive privilege
1: having you on. Thank you for giving and us much your soon. time it's the, the the uh the award-winning podcast by it the is, way. certainly is <laughs> <laughs> right, let's not underplay oh this. i never get sold yeah 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 yeah. so uh, this isn't any old podcast so no it's my play i do listen to it uh and it's i'm really really sort of uh feel privileged to be invited onto it and keep up the good work
0: oh top man well thank you so much for coming on we'll let you crack on and, and get home we'll see you at big summer kickoff hopefully nice one lads take care Cheers, bye, mate. Well, that was Harlequin CEO Laurie Dalrymple the big dog. Mike, what did you make of all of that? That was pretty cool, wasn't
2: it? What, a boy? We got he's, ass, isn't he? he's so good. So easy to, so like easy to listen to. Um, like you said at the end, it won't obviously translate very well to people listening to this, but there was a point where I just genuinely put my microphone down on the desk in front of me and was just so happy to listen to him and so engaged with what he's saying. He's so brilliant and we've said it so often. We are Incredibly lucky to have him, and everything he says, he does with such passion. Yeah, he, he, I, I love. The, I I didn't know he was a season to holder that many years ago. I didn't know that. So you know, it, it's not a bit. He's not a business guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a harlequin's man, and it's it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that either. Actually, yeah. I didn't know from the air, and he was on. always quins, but that makes it a little bit more special, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, one thing I really enjoyed before he came on air or before we started recording, um, when he joined the call, his laptop was angled so that he had the Harlequins men's side lifting up the trophy on his wall behind him, a signed shirt, and then the other side of it was the Harlequins women's side lifting yeah. up the trophy too. And we said, are you at home? Are you still in the office? He goes, he goes, no, that's that's my bedroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know what Mrs. Dalrymple would make of that if that actually wasn't my bedroom <laughs> wall. But um, yeah, no, he stitched us up a little bit there. Um, looks, a bit, looks a bit more like my bedroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is just a white Brown shrine still, isn't
2: it? Oh, man.
0: Yeah. soon to be Steph Louise when he goes back to back and lifts that yeah. trophy so anyway it's been a long episode so we'll wrap it up there thank you for speaking with us I hope you found it as enthralling as we did really really proud and, and excited to have the CEO of our club come and join our, our fan podcast but I don't know I guess we're an award winning podcast now it's just what we do so <laughs> we'll roll on this week to big summer kick off and we'll, we'll go and continue to be the champions of England and do big things and Get excited for the running! Cause it's about to go down.
2: Come on, the Quins. Superb stuff, mate. Catch you soon. Come on, you Quins.